Hey, Patreons, it is Laura and Carrie bringing you our first ever, ever true crime story. This is going to be so good. I'm so excited for this. And I got to say, for a number of reasons, because one, it's not on YouTube. So I don't, I'm in my fucking jammies. My hair's all stupid. I have no makeup on. And, um, also, this is all you, and I can just kick back and listen to the story. There's a lot less pressure. I, I really dig these kind of episodes. You don't have anything to do. I don't, except for just be horrified, which I'm I'm guessing it's going to be a horrific one because it's the first true crime, and you're just as twisted as I am. So True, true. What are you telling us today? What's this month's? What's the inaugural true crime? This month is Jack the Ripper. Ah, yes! (laughs) Yes! Yes! I don't think I have enough wine. It's okay, we'll pause. Um, It's fine. It's fine. We will have to take breaks. It is going to be a little bit long. Uh, (laughs) There's, and I cut a lot of stuff out. So um, if you are listening and you are um a ripperologist as they are called um just know that we're streamlining a little bit for time um otherwise we could be talking about him for days um yeah so are you ready they actually call them ripperologists yeah there's like these crazy websites where people talk about stuff like i mean still to this day like it fascinates this these murders fascinate people and have for the past what 100 and almost 50 years oh my god so, oh yes let's do it all i have to do is just sit back with my wine and listen to you tell the story and just be generally horrified because i do know this one it's a classic it's a classic it is a classic you know what i think we all think we know this one but i don't oh really okay there's right. so much more to it than i thought even fuck yes so, i'm here yeah i'm here for it one. let's do this all right, so let me cover my sources real quick first. Okay. Um, it's history.com, jacktheripper.org, medium.com, crimeandinvestigation.co.uk, science.org, and the jacktheripper.tour.com, and the Serial Killers podcast. Ooh, I bet that's a good one. I haven't heard of that one. I'm going to have to make a note for them. Yeah, they um it was it was good. They I mean they're very like kind of serious, but um I enjoyed. I listened to like three episodes of All Jack the Ripper, so it was good stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. Um They're good. Yes. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. God, I'm so excited. Okay. So Jack the Ripper terrorized London in 1888, killing at least five women and mutilating mutilating their bodies in an unusual manner. Yeah. It is not possible to ascertain the exact num- number of victims that Jack the Ripper had because, one, he was never caught. And the generic Whitechapel murders file, the official name for the police investigation into the crimes, um, it contains 11 victims. But it is generally believed that five are the work of the killer now known as Jack the Ripper. Oh, so, I didn't even know there was a file. Like, I didn't yes. know that there was, like, a, a Whitehall file, murders file. Yes, so there was, because there's other ones that people talk about, like, in the Jack the Ripper. Like, was it him? Was it not him? Um, like, ideas, but there are five, what they call, um, 
the canonical victims. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So those five, um, it's not even certain, you know, that he did all five, although most people kind of agree that they did. Um, and those are the five that I'm going to cover. Um, so those are the five that are attributed to him, and they all took place within a mile of each other in or near the Whitechapel district of London's East End. Uh, started August 31st, my birthday, to November 8th, 1888. Happy birthday. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, it's my birthday. <laughs> yeah, and he ended a day after my friend Ginny's birthday. Happy birthday, yeah. ladies. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Whitechapel, back in the um, late 1800s, um, was basically one large slum that whole area um it okay. was said that two out of ten children and i actually heard even five out of ten um died before reaching five years old oh god Vict okay. uh, yeah victorian london was not a happy place to be it uh, really really wasn't no mm -hmm. yeah. and we all hear these stories of all these well-off people but yeah the victorian before, era yeah so. is very yeah but really yeah yeah prostitution was rife and also legal um, poverty and crime were prevalent, and the 19th century housing was barely habitable. Um, um, finding work was extremely difficult. Um, at that time, England's global power was kind of waning, um, and the economy was not as strong as it had been. Okay. Right. The streets were unimaginably dirty. Uh, fresh food was hard to come by. Uh, pollution and the smell of sewage hung in the air. Well, wasn't that also the time of like the Industrial Revolution in London where it was just sort of smoggy and smoky and- Yeah. Yeah, Gross. okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. that's Anything that was good was also combined with, you know, the smell of horses, general bad, uh, uh, hygiene, okay. <laughs> so, like oh. super stuff. Great. You can imagine it was not awesome. Great, it wasn't um, the beautiful London that I know and love today. Gotcha. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, and life for women was terrible. Um, they, you know, there was no work and um, there's no money, and it led many women and girls into prostitution. Um, it is said that all of Jack the Ripper's victims were addicted to alcohol and worked as women of the night. Okay, well, if I don't find a job soon, I'm going to be following in their footsteps. <laughs> right. Listen to this to know what not to do. What not to uh, do. <laughs> right. So both of these um, things combined, though, made it them super easy targets, right? You have drunk um, prostitutes or sex workers um, that are willing to go into dark, uninhabited areas with a man because they just did their business out on the street then. They didn't right. go to like a boarding oh. house or something. They just like found a dark alley and did the deed. Did the deed. So, wow. All right. Didn't know that. Right. So uh, despite countless, countless investigations claiming definitive evidence of the brutal killer's identity, his or her name and motive are still unknown. Uh, there are various theories about Jack the Ripper's identity and there have been for several decades. Um, some of the biggest claims um, are the famous Victorian painter Walter Sickert, a Polish migrant, and even the grandson of Queen Victoria. Which one? So she had like 900. Right, exactly. It was all of them. <laughs> um, 
Since 1888, uh, more than 100 suspects have been named, contributing to widespread folklore and ghoulish entertainment surrounding the mystery. Oh, God. The And then Ripperologist, man. Wow. Okay. Sorry, I'm getting right. ahead of myself, but still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's get into victim number one. Um, at 3.30 a.m. on August 31st, 1888, Charles Cross left his home and set off to walk to his place of work where he was employed as a car man um, or delivery driver. On his way, he noticed a dark bundle lying in a gateway on the opposite side of the street. Um, it looked like a discarded tarp, and he thought it might be useful for his job. Um, oh so he went across to inspect it. But as soon as he got close, he realized that it was like the form of a woman. And he could tell that she was either dead or drunk. And so he stopped in his tracks. Um, he wasn't exactly sure what to do next, um, but he heard footsteps coming from the other direction. Um, and he knew the guy, it was, his name is Robert Paul. So he was walking towards him and he's like, dude, come over here and let's take a look at this woman who's lying on the pavement. Um, oh God, this so the guy. Two right, so the two men, you know, went and looked at her and she was lying on her back. Her legs were straight out and her skirts were raised um, almost over her waist. Ugh. So Charles reached out and touched her face, which was warm, and her hands, which were cold and limp. And he said, I believe she is dead. So Robert Paul, meanwhile, placed his hand on the woman's chest and thought he felt a slight movement. He said, I think she's still breathing, but very little if she is. Oh God. So Paul suggested that they sit the woman up, but Cross refused to touch her again. Um, so the two of them decided kind of callously that they were late for work and had done as much as they could. So they pulled her skirt back down to cover her decency. Sure. And they went to work and agreed to tell the first policeman that they found, you know, a dead body. Um, wow. All right. What, yeah. Nice. Nice guys. Uh, but what neither man had noticed in the pitch darkness of Buck's Row was that the woman's throat had been slashed so savagely that, according to some newspaper reports, her head had almost been severed from her body. How did they not notice that? Yeah, I don't think they. I don't think they wanted to get. I think they were kind of keeping their distance as much as they could. But did, didn't yeah. you say one of them touched her face? Yeah, I don't know, but apparently they didn't notice. Um, and that discovery oh was God. made by a beat officer, a police constable, John Neal, um, who did actually go and find the body. Mm. So when he found it, there wasn't a soul about, um, he said at the inquest, I had been around there half an hour previously and saw no one then. I was on the right side when I noticed a figure lying in the street. It was dark at the time. I, I examined the body by the aid of my lamp and noticed blood oozing from a wound in the throat. She was lying on her back with her clothes disarranged. I felt her arm, which was quite warm from the joints upward. Her eyes were wide open. Her bonnet was off and lying at her side." End quote. So the doctor arrived um, at 4 a.m. and carried out a cursory examination of the body, noting the severity of the wounds to the throat, and he pronounced life extinct. So, okay. uh, on closer examination, he also observed that the deceased body and legs were still warm, although her hands and wrists were quite cold. So, this led him to figure out that she could not have been dead for more than half an hour. So, if this is in fact um, true, 
It suggests that the murderer would have been still very close to the scene when Charles Cross came upon the body. Right, yeah. Right. And not just that, but there were several men working around the area, um, and no one heard anything. At that hour? Yeah. So there were men uh, multiple in, in different areas. There were men... Like working at a stable or something, and then there were met, like there was a watchman not that far away, and nobody heard anything. So, due to the relatively okay. small amount of blood that they found at the scene, um, and coupled with just that that nobody had heard anything, um, they thought that the murder had been carried out somewhere else, and that the body was dumped. Okay. Um, once they got her to the mortuary, they discovered that she'd also been disemboweled. Uh. So he started right out of the gate with that. Like, I knew he did that, but I mm-hmm. thought he kind of worked his way up to that. But no, just right balls to the wall. Let's take him out. Yeah. Ugh. So um, the woman's name was Mary Nichols. And here's what we know kind of like where she was. Um, at 2.30 a.m., uh, she ran into a friend um, who noticed that she was drunk Um and Mary boasted that she had made her DOS money, which means like money for a bed or whatever for the night, oh. but she had spent it already. Um, and so she parted ways with her friends. And then at 3.40 a.m. Um, was when she was found. So, so there's wait, not she, a lot of time there. She met the friend at what time? 2.30. And then she was found at 3.40. So an hour and 10 minutes so, later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, just to give you an idea, like, there's these, all these murders seem to happen so fast. Um, yeah. That, and I know that doesn't seem that fast, like, the hour and ten minutes, but, you know, if that guy found her at 3.40 and she had been dead. That was when the police officer found her or that was when the first guy? the guy found her, the Charles Cross guy, so. It's possible she was still alive Mm -hmm. when he found her. Yeah, because if, if her hands were cold, but her face was warm, I mean, obviously, the blood was, I still don't understand how he didn't notice bl- the a cut throat, but okay. Mm-hmm. Huh, okay. Huh. Yeah. Go on. All, All right. right. Go on. Okay. So, victim number two. Um, this is almost a full week later. It's September 8th, 1888. So a little before 6 a.m., John Davis, he's an elderly resident of 29 Hembury Street. So he comes downstairs and walks out the back door. And as soon as he does, he sees something fucking terrible. So moments later, two workmen walking along Hembury Street were suddenly startled when, from the open door of number 29, a wild-eyed old man comes stumbling into the street, screaming, Come here. <laughs> That would alarm me a little bit, yes. Yeah, right. (laughs) So nervously, they follow him down the passageway, and they see the mutilated body of Annie Chapman lying on the ground between the steps and the wooden fence. Um, Her head was turned towards the the house, and her clothes had been tugged up above her waist, exposing her red and white striped stockings. A handkerchief was tied around her throat, she had been wearing the handkerchief when the killer cut her throat, so it had been asserted previously that it had been tied by the murderer to stop the head from rolling away, but she actually had been wearing it. Um, her face and hands were covered in blood, 
and her hands were raised and bent with the palms toward the upper portion of the body, giving the impression that she had been struggling and had fought for her throat, right? To try to pull something away from yeah, her Yeah, to try to pull away. Okay. Um, after a few moments of stunned silence, the man, the men um, spring into action and race around um, in different directions to go find a policeman. I imagine they're like, oh my God! <laughs> right? Like that Kermit, uh, the Kermit the Frog meme that you see where he's like, ah! <laughs> That's kind of how I imagine the, those guys going exactly. off in the different... Holy so crap! So the horror of what he had w- witnessed immediately began to sink in with James Kent, uh, causing him to abandon his search and go instead for a brandy to steady his nerves. Jesus! <laughs> right. So the doctor that ended up attending uh, to Anne... Uh, gave his testimony about what he saw when he arrived. Um, He said that the left arm was placed across the left breast. The legs were drawn up, the feet resting on the ground, and the knees turned outwards. The face was swollen and turned on the right side. The tongue protruded between the front teeth, but not beyond the lips. The tongue was evidently much swollen. The front teeth were perfect as far as the first molar top and bottom, and very fine teeth they were. The body was terribly mutilated. The stiffness of the limbs was not marked, but was evidently commencing. He noticed that the throat was dissevered deeply, that the incisions through the skin were jagged and reached right around the neck. On the wooden paling between the yard in question and the next, smears of blood corresponding to where the head of the deceased lay were to be seen. These were about 14 inches from the ground and immediately above the part where the neck, where the blood from the neck lay. So her throat was slit and her intestines were thrown over her shoulder. Oh, God. Yeah. And her uterus and parts of her vagina and bladder were missing. The killer had most likely taken the parts when he left. It was most likely she had been suffocated before her throat had been slit. Tiny miracle if that were true. Yeah, actually, that's why they were talking about the tongue and stuff is because Mm -hmm. they do believe that. And that, that kind of lends itself to why people um, didn't hear anything. And okay. it kind of comes up later too, but that they're um, suffocated first and then... Immediately as soon as they are passed out mm. then, okay, because so, then the... Blo- okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> during, after this glass murder, um, a letter is sent and we call it the Dear Boss Letter. So the name Jack the Ripper didn't enter the investigation until after the night um, of 30th of September, which we'll we'll get there. Um, Up until that point, the killer had been known variously as the Red Fiend or the Whitechapel Murderer or Leather Apron. Ew. Um, Yeah. It was the arrival of a gloating letter posted to a London news agency in later September 1888 that would introduce the name Jack the Ripper into the saga. The letter in question was received by the Central News Agency at their premises in the City of London on uh, the 27th of September. Um, At first, the staff of the news agency weren't too concerned about the letter, um, and it would be two days um, until the 29th that they decided to actually give it to the police. Oh. yeah, so they held on to it for two days. So the letter okay. was written in a boastful tone and was addressed to the boss, Central News Office, London City. And here's what it read. Dear boss, 
I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. The joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Oh, God. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with it. But it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work than give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. Oh my god. So there's obviously people say they're not like there are two letters that um, they think most or a lot of people think he probably did write. Um, and this is one of them. Those are the ones that I'm including in the story. Um, but again, there are people that say that it wasn't. But this one, I think, has some credence and we'll get to why here i think so, so Ew. yeah it's creeps right it's interesting that they that he mentions they say i'm a doctor now yeah because, because they were talking about how he cut out like yeah the pieces of the widely word. believe that uh -huh. it was somebody with medical knowledge if not expertise holy shit oh my god Okay, so with that, let's move on to victim number three. I don't and know if I September, can. <laughs> this is September 30th. So this is one day after the police get the letter, right? The letter, okay. Okay. Um, so Elizabeth, or Long Liz Stride, I just love that Long Liz Stride, <laughs> spent the last afternoon of her life cleaning rooms in the lodging house at number 32 Flower and Dean Street, where she had lived on and off for the previous six years. So the deputy keeper, Elizabeth Tanner, paid her sixpence for the chores, and by 6.30 p.m., Elizabeth was slacking her thirst in the nearby Queen's Head pub. Um, so by 7, she'd returned to the lodging house and was, according to a fellow resident, um, dressed ready to go out. Um, she left the lodging house at around 7.30. Um, it was raining really heavy that night. And the next sighting of her was at 11 um, when two men thought that they saw her um, in a doorway um, of the bricklayer's arms. Um, she was in the company of a man who was about five foot, five inches tall. He had a black mustache, sandy eyelashes, and was wearing a black morning suit together with a billy cock hat. That's a specific description. It is. That's very specific. Sandy so, eyelashes and a black mustache. And that's yeah, fake mustache? Mm -hmm. huh. According to one of the men, uh, they did not appear willing to go out. He was hugging and kissing her 
And as he seemed a respectably dressed man, we were rather astonished at the way he was going on with the woman. So at around 11.45 that night, um, a laborer who lived at number 64 Burner Street was standing outside his lodgings when he noticed a man and woman outside number 63. They both seemed quite sober, and as he watched, they began to kiss. And Marshall heard the mar man remark to the woman, you would say anything but your prayers. Ew. I just love that line. <laughs> Ew. So, I know, creepy. It's a little bit creepy. So creepy. Yeah. So at 12.30 a.m., PC, which is police constable, okay. um, William Smith proceeded along Burner Street on his beat and noticed a man and woman on the opposite side of the road um, near Dutfield's yard, where her body was later discovered. Um, the man was approximately 28 years old with a dark complexion and a small dark mustache. Um, and he said he was about five foot seven, um, but again, was wearing dark clothing. Okay. So that's still within. So we're yeah. pretty consistent, right? Mm -hmm. This is the same guy. Yeah. So the woman, um, whom Smith later identified was Elizabeth Stride, um, had a flower pinned to her jacket. Um, and, but the, I mean, at that time the couple was doing nothing that aroused his suspicion. So he just kept on going on his beat. Um, the most important witness to have seen Elizabeth Stride in the 30 minutes before her body was discovered was a man by the name of Israel Schwartz. So he turned into Burner Street at about 12.45 and noticed a man walking ahead of him. The man stopped to talk to a woman who was standing in the gateway of Dutfield's yard. Schwartz was later emphatic that the woman he had seen was Elizabeth Stride. Since it is likely that Israel Schwartz witnessed the early stages of Elizabeth Stride's murder, um, and is therefore possibly the only person ever to have seen one of Jack the Ripper's victims in the act of being murdered. His statement is worth close scrutiny, albeit he spoke no English and therefore gave his evidence through an interpreter. Okay. So, um, also noting that his, when he gave his statement to the police, um, they differ in then interviews he later gave to journalists. They do differ in a little bit. Of details but the police took him totally seriously as a witness so oh, okay. Um, okay so according to Schwartz the man was about five foot five again um, around 30 fair complexion brown mustache um, full face broad shoulders and appeared to be slightly intoxicated um, as Schwartz watched the man tried to pull the woman into the street but then spun her around and threw her in onto the footway Whereupon the woman screamed three times, but not very loudly. Israel Schwartz appears to have believed that he was witnessing a domestic attack, and so he crossed the road to avoid getting involved. Oh, great. Nice guy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right? Right. So at 1 a.m., Louis Demschultz discovered a woman laying in the yard of the International Working Men's Education Club. When he and the other members shed some light on her, they could tell that her throat had been cut. How far away was this from where everybody saw her with the guy? Minutes. 15 minutes. Hmm. Okay. So the doctor arrived at 116 and pronounced her dead. And he gave it as his opinion that she had been dead for between 20 and 30 minutes. So it's most likely that, that Mr. Schwartz guy did see the act at the beginning of him probably strangling her. Um, he noted that the woman was wearing a check silk scarf, the bow of which had been turned to the left and pulled tightly. 
At the inquest, he stated that he had formed the opinion that the killer had first taken hold of the back of the silk scarf and pulled his victim backwards onto the ground. He, however, couldn't be certain whether the woman's throat was cut while she was standing or after she had been pulled backwards. So once the thriller, or the thriller, the killer, <laughs> also, um, <laughs> once the killer- Hold on, wait, throat, let's play Michael Jackson right now. <laughs> right? Um, slicing through the windpipe, uh, she wouldn't have been able to cry out and would have bled to death within about a minute and a half. So it is important to note that her only injury was to her throat. Um, it seems like he was interrupted before he could complete his signature mm -hmm. mutilations. Yes, that is. I, the minute you said that, I was like, wait a minute, hang on. Was she almost yeah. decapitated? Did you say that? No. Mm, okay. It looks like she was just, yeah, her throat was slit. Okay. All right. So victim number four, same night. Oh, Jesus, are we only on four? I feel like you've yeah. talked about 400 women murdered. <laughs> I know. Um, at more or less the exact moment that they found the body of Elizabeth Stride, um, another prostitute named Catherine or Kate Eddowes was being released from Bishopsgate Police Station in the city of London. Um, at around 8.30 the previous evening, she had been entertaining a delighted crowd of onlookers outside 29 Aldgate High Street with a spontaneous, though drunken, imitation of a fire engine. Having of, taken of, a bow... A fire engine? Yeah. So afterwards, she took okay. a bow and lay down on the pavement and went to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that happened to me outside Access Radius in Scottsdale. I'm just saying. I think it probably happened to a lot of people there. Um, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the fire engine that got me. Yeah, it's super funny. That's why I was like, I, she seems like we'd be friends. A thousand percent. <laughs> So the police came, of course, and uh, asked anybody if they knew where she lived, and they didn't. So she was arrested and taken to jail to sleep it off. So by 12.15, uh, she had woken up, and the officer heard her singing softly. 12.15 um, a.m. or p.m.? A.m. Okay. So 15 minutes later, um, she called to him and asked when she would be allowed to leave, and he said, when you can take care of yourself. Um, and she's like, I can do that now. So... You know, he lets her out and uh, she asked him what time it was. Um, and he said, it's too late for you to get any more drink. <laughs> and she said that she would get a damn fine hiding when she got home. Mm. Um, and the officer was not sympathetic at all. And he said, and serve you right. You have no right to get drunk. But yeah. as Kate left the station, she said, all right. Good night, old cock. <laughs> <laughs> think she sounds like fun i know um, oh. Oh. so according to a later estimation it would have taken her around eight minutes to reach mitre square um during which time the murderer of elizabeth's ride was also heading towards the square from the opposite direction okay um yeah at 1 30 a.m uh pc Watkins of the city police passed the southeast corner of um, on a beat that brought him through Minor Square every 12 to 14 minutes. Uh, and then five minutes later, three gentlemen uh, left the Imperial Club on Duke Street. And as they passed its junction with Church Passage, uh, they saw a man and woman talking quietly. Um, one of the men um, hadn't seen the woman's face, although later he was certain that it was um, Catherine by her clothing that she was that she had been wearing. 
Um, and although the street lighting wasn't particularly good, he caught a brief glimpse of the man's face and was able to provide police with the description. Oh, what is it? Um, he said that he had an appearance of a sailor, was around 30. Um, he said he was 5'9", had a fair complexion and a small fair mustache. Uh, since Catherine's body was discovered just 15 minutes later in Miter Square, a few steps away from uh, where this guy saw them, Whoa. Uh, it's a it's a really high probability that the man he saw was the murderer of the Catherine murderer. Mm-hmm. This dude is quick. Yeah, I mean, I guess but, I don't know how long it takes to slice somebody's throat, but I feel like it would take a long time to like disembowel people. Yeah. So. Sorry, talk about her. Sorry. Okay, okay. so at 1.44 a.m., our friendly police officer um, strolled back into Miter Square, uh, Square. Jesus. Almost immediately, he saw a sight that sent him reeling back in horror. Catherine Eddowes was lying on her back in a pool of blood with her clothes thrown up over her waist. Her <sighs> throat was slit. She was disemboweled. Innards again thrown over her shoulder. Ah! A severed piece of the intestines was placed at her side. Her kidney and most of her uterus was removed and taken. Her face was terribly disfigured. There were cuts made to the lower eyelids as well as two inverted V's carved into her cheeks. And part of her right ear was severed and the tip (gasps) of her nose was cut clean off. He said in the letter. Yes. So George Morris, the night watchman, whose whistle had first alerted the police to the body, expressed himself totally baffled as to how such a brutal crime could have been committed so close by without him hearing a sound. A sound, yes. Right? So this is um, this was written in the Illustrated Police News um, from this guy, George Morris. That he could hear the footsteps of the policemen as they passed on the beat every quarter of an hour. So they came by every about every 15 minutes. Okay. So it, that it appeared impossible that the woman could have uttered any sound without his detecting it. It was only on the night that he remarked to some policemen that he wished the butcher would come around Mitre Square and he would give him a doing. Yet the butcher had come and he was perfectly ignorant of it. Oh my God. Yeah. So Jack the Ripper's only clue that he ever left was left that night. Um, a fragment of Catherine's apron that she had been wearing was taken from the murder. Uh, the missing segment of the apron was found later um, by another patrolman um, at 2.55 that morning. It was covered with blood and feces and like, had marks on it that you know suggested that a blade of a knife had been wiped on it. Oh, um, Gross. That he needed to like clean up. So, on the sites, um, they talk about this in particular because um, he did disembowel other victims, but um, they norm- he normally didn't get the lower intestines, so they were thinking that maybe he got like poop on his hands because he would have blood on him all the time. Sure, the murders, but ma- like maybe he that didn't bother him so much. But the poop, and he felt like he needed to clean. From the because... lower intestines. Uh-huh. Ew, yeah. God. Yeah, and it also gave an idea of the way that he left, right? Because it was found down a certain street, so it kind of sure, gave him sure, that yeah. he was... Yeah. That's the direction that he went 
Yeah. So he was still in, he was still into the, in the East end. Right. Ugh, um, my God, I'm, we're going to need to pause. Cause I'm damn near out of wine. <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, back to the apron. So do we have to, cause there's poop on it and I don't, mm -mm. Yeah, well, we don't even talk about the poop. But <laughs> the apron, a lot of people think, clue into, like, the question of his appearance as he fled the scenes of the other murders, right? So it's a common belief that he would have to be drenched in blood um, having carried out these murders. But that probably wasn't the case. So the apron tells us how much visible and incriminating blood he would have upon his person. So, since the available evidence suggests that the Ripper asphyxiated his victims before carrying out his mutilations, their hearts would have all but stopped beating by the time he cut their throats. And thus, he would have avoided the arterial spurt. Okay. That would have happened when he cut the um, carotid artery, right? Sure. So, um, his victims, being prostitutes, and I, I touched upon this earlier, um, they would go with him into the dark corners to have sex. So if he was wearing like a large overcoat, which it seems like he was okay. by all accounts, um, like he would have removed it. Um, and that would not have been suspicious to the, the prostitutes because it would have been weird if he would have kept it on. Um, okay. Okay. So then he, let's say he carries out the murder. Um, and he may have had blood like on his shirt or jacket or trousers. Um, and definitely by carrying the body parts, um, but if you put that big coat back on, it would have hidden a lot of that. Okay. Um, and he would have been been okay to walk through the streets to clean up when he had a chance. Oh, yuck. Oh, my God. Yeah, so the because apron, they didn't have Ziploc bags back then. It wasn't like he was... No, it would have been, like, shoved in his pocket. He had, like, a uterus shoved in his pocket. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. A pocket uterus. <laughs> a pocket uterus. Um... Oh my god. Yeah. He would have like had blood on his hands for sure and on his knife. Um and obviously he wanted to wipe it away. And again, like a lot of people were saying in this um you know, the rabbit hole I went down. <laughs> Dude. That they think it was like the reason that he was upset about this one was the poop. Cause he was a yeah. little O C D about whatever the fuck. Yeah, like he clearly, 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 he didn't care so much about the blood, but. You know. Well, I mean, there are. There's a name for that. Uh, um, uh, what Elizabeth Bathory was, uh, like a, a blood lover, a, a, mm -hmm. a hemo, yeah, like blood loss, a hemophile, or a hema. Um, mm -hmm. There's a there's a scientific name for people that love blood. Oh, okay. So well, he might have been like he might have been a hemo file I, mm -hmm. all right we'll look it up and i'll put that in the show notes before we jesus all right so um you know it seems like once he was clean enough you know he wiped his stuff off and dropped the apron and went home and that's exactly what they found um when they found the apron the you know the bit of apron that he took with him um all right, so again, remember that letter that we talked about earlier, the boss letter? Mm -hmm. Yes. That was not made public until two days after the double murder. And we, you brought it up too, like, oh, we cut our ear. With He's the like, ear, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
So that's the reason I think it's so creepy. Uh, yeah. Which so that yeah, this... you're right. That letter was definitely from the killer. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody is just obviously in Whitechapel and across London and England are just beyond, right? Like right. them not being able to catch this guy, what is happening. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that goes into like this was a poor area versus if it had happened in a rich area and you know and then it kind of like got into like xenophobia because you know they people said that described him as darker being darker and people thought it was an immigrant um okay blah 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 so there's a lot of stuff that jack the river had implications into society english sure. society sure. at this time yeah um but one of the guys that was really trying to catch him um and had been speaking out against um the police and the establishment not getting him right so this is this guy mr george lusk and he became the president and founder of mile and um vigilance committee basically he got a bunch of people together who would go on basically patrols like vigilante patrols okay okay so he had been in the newspaper um in the first two weeks of october on account of his um vigilance patrol activities um and he had several public meetings when he was act, um, actively soliciting the home office to offer a reward because they weren't even offering a reward to help find him, if you can believe that. So the press coverage that he got through that um, ensured that his name was in the public eye uh, in the first two weeks of October. And it didn't take long for a few of the East End's more unsavory characters to latch onto him and begin stalking him. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. So he received his first letter on October 12th. The so guy personally. 12 days, yeah. 12 days after the double murder. Okay. So I write you a letter in black ink as I have no more of the right stuff. I think you are all asleep in Scotland Yard with your bloodhounds as I will show you tomorrow night, Saturday. I'm going to do a double event, but not in Whitechapel. Got rather too warm there. Had to shift. No more till you hear me again, Jack the Ripper. Was it in the same handwriting? Um, it appears so. So okay. shortly afterwards on Tuesday, October 16th. I'm um, sorry. Now what? you've got me like writing notes on this episode because <laughs> I have so many questions. All right. So shortly afterwards, and you can view all these letters. They're uploaded um online there's so much stuff on jack the ripper again there's like whole websites and i used um one of them uh and there's more than one dedicated just to him and they have pictures of the places where the crimes took place i mean there's everything it's jack the ripper you know i so, mean you can even see the the crime scene photos like i've seen the photos yeah they're yeah, so they're not they're not great no, okay Sorry, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna mute okay. my mic while you talk because I'm like furiously scrawling. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, so a small a small package wrapped in brown paper and bearing an indistinct London postmark was delivered to Lusk in the Evening Post. It was addressed to him by name and bore the name of the street, but did not, did not give his house number. The parcel contained a foul-smelling piece of kidney, together with a letter, the handwriting of which was the same as that of the postcard Lusk um, had received a few days before. The letter read, From hell, Mr. Lusk. Sir, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, 
par-sarved it for you, toddler piece I ate. I fried and ate. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer. Signed, catch me if you can, Mr. Lusk. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm sorry, remind me who Lusk was again? Was he um, He's the guy that, that did the vigilante committee. Oh, okay, okay. So, Lusk's uh, initial reaction, aside from cringing and disgust, uh, was to dismiss it as just like a prank. And he presumed that the kidney was that of like a sheep or something. Um, so... He's oh, so the fucking foul. That's so foul. Yeah. So he asked like other people, and they're like, "Dude, <laughs> might not be a prank." <laughs> so they're like, "That sounds like a conversation between you and me." If it's a real person's kidney, mm-hmm. so he did. He took it to Doctor Frederick Wiles. And was he involved? Was he this guy mm-hmm. involved? Was Wiles involved in any of the previous? No, no. He's just a, he's a, a new he's just person. a surgeon. He's a yeah. new guy. Okay. Yeah, so he's just a surgeon. But it ended up that his assistant did re- he examined the kidney and gave his opinion that it was human. So here's what the police said. Um, on the 27th of October, uh, Inspector James McWilliam of the city police presented the first police report on the gruesome artifact. The kidney has been examined by Dr. Gordon Brown, now another doctor. Who is of the opinion that it is human? Every effort is being made to trace the sender, but it is not desirable that publicity should be given to the doctor's opinion or the steps that are being taken in consequence. It might turn out, after all, to be the act of a medical student who would have had no difficulty in obtaining the organ in question. Uh, Okay. Right, so they just blow it off. Like, basically. kind of are just like, you know. Yeah, basically. It could be somebody else. We don't know if it's him. Again, it's a fucking human kidney, regardless. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the goddamn day, even if mm-hmm. it is a medical student, although there were, that was a, a dark time in the UK, in England, in Scotland. And I mean, there's um, those two guys that were stealing dead bodies so that doctors could, and selling them to medical schools so that they could, you know, teach their classes. God, what the hell with the... The names of those two doctors. I want to say Bergen and Bork, but my mom and I have been doing a Harry Potter marathon. So that's <laughs> well, not it's, it. not, it's not. It's them. not them. Um, uh, but I mean, people regardless, bodies, people even for art goes back. Did that? Yes. I mean, forever. Da Vinci had the whole. I it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yes. God, this so is it such is very a... possible. It was a prank, but mm. nonetheless. I find it very interesting. And this is such a good one, honey. Yeah. Fucking so, good job. Keep going. All right. So on to our final victim. Victim number five. Oh, my God. We're not even done with the... Okay, cool. All right. So October had been quiet besides the letters and all the huff huff and the papers and all that. Um, so, but, you know, until... No- then we get to November and then on the 9th, um, we got victim number five. So at 25 years old, Mary Kelly was much younger oh. than the other victims of Jack the Ripper. Uh, the one. Daily Telegraph described her as being of fair complexion, with light hair, and possessing rather attractive features. 
At 10.45 a.m. that morning, Mary Kelly's landlord, John McCarthy, sent his assistant, Thomas Bauer, round to 13 Miller's Court to collect her overdue rent. Striding into Miller's Court, Boyer banged twice on the door. There was no answer. So no, no doubt believing that she was like inside and just didn't want to pay. Um, he came from the corner and pulled aside a curtain that covered a window pane. And moments later, an ashen-faced Boyer staggered back into McCarthy's shop. Governor, he sputtered, I knocked at the door and could not make anyone answer. I looked through the window and saw a lot of blood. Mm. This is the one body that was inside, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So you don't mean that Harry was McCarthy's horrified response, and the two men hurried from the shop and into Miller's court. Uh, Stooping down, McCarthy pushed aside the curtain and gazed into the gloomy room. A sight of unimaginable horror met his eyes. The wall behind the bed was spattered with blood. On the bedside table was a pile of bloody human flesh. And there on the bed, barely recognizable as human, lay the virtually skinned down cadaver of Mary Kelly. This is the one, this is the one, probably the most famous crime scene photo Mm -hmm. you can, yeah, this is the one. So just a warning, it's going to get a little intense for a minute or two. Uh, The sight that we saw, I cannot drive away from my mind, McCarthy later told a journalist. It looked more like the work of a devil than of a man. I had heard a great deal about the Whitechapel murders, but I declare to God I had never expected to see such a sight as this. The whole scene is more than I can describe. I may, I hope I may never see such a sight as this again. So Mary Kelly's body lay on the bed, her head turned towards the window. Her face had been mutilated beyond recognition. And one feature in particular struck uh, Inspector Dew. The poor woman's eyes, they were wide open and seemed to be staring straight at me with a look of terror. Indeed, so thorough were the mutilations to Mary Kelly's face that her lover, Joseph Barnett, was later only able to identify her by her eyes and her ears. Yeah. Yeah. Those are kind of oblique body, like, Mm -hmm. eyes and ears. That's not, that's interesting that that was the only way he could identify her. Yeah. I couldn't identify you by your eyes and your ears. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. those are those are body parts you don't typically um Yeah. You yeah, you don't typically um identify bodies with. Interesting. Right. Okay. Sorry. All right. So I have Don more notes. <laughs> right. Bond detailed her injuries in his subsequent postmortem report. Uh the body was lying naked in the middle of the bed. The shoulders flat, but the axis of the body inclined to the left side of the bed. The head was turned on the left cheek. The left arm was close to the body with the forearm flexed at a right angle and lying across the abdomen. The right arm was slightly abducted from the body and rested on the mattress, the elbow bent, and the forearm supine with the fingers clenched. Oh, God. The legs were wide apart, the left thigh at right angles to the trunk, and the right forming an obtuse angle with the pubes. The whole surface... Far too of much the geometry. Abdomen and thighs were removed, and the abdominal cavity emptied of its viscera. Uh. The breasts were cut off, the arms mutilated by several jagged wounds, and the face hacked beyond recognition of the features. The tissues of the neck were severed all round down to the bone. The viscera were found in various parts. Uh, the uterus and kidneys 
with one breast were under the head. The other breast uh! the right foot, the liver between the feet, the intestines by the right side, and the spleen by the left side of the body. Oh my god. The flaps removed from the abdomen and thigh were on a table. The bed clothing at the right corner was saturated with blood, and on the floor beneath was a pool of blood covering about two feet square. The face was gashed in all directions. The nose, cheek, eyebrows, and ears um, were partly removed. The lips were blanched and cut by several incisions running obliquely down to the chin. There were also numerous cuts extending irregularly across all the features. She was not quite dead when they did this. Um, the amount know. of blood under the bed Well, he alone. cut open and took everything out, so the blood right. came out. But still, they, with the cuts yeah. to the face, that... That's a lot. That's a lot. She was either not quite dead or very newly dead when he yeah. did this. Well, and oh. if you think about how quickly he had done it, some of this to other women. Um, but remember the double murder where he was like interrupted. So it's like he had to go back out and complete what he wanted to do. This was the one woman where he had time. He had time. He wasn't on the street. Yeah. So he could just completely. Just go fucking her. balls to the wall. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. I hate it, but right. I love it. Keep going. All right. So now we're going to talk about the top suspects. Okay. So, um, one, it, these aren't in any particular order. Um, okay. Carl Figenbaum. Uh, <laughs> no, the name is stupid and we're discounting this one immediately. <laughs> okay. And it's really just because his name is Carl Figenbaum. I mean, that's really it. <laughs> right. But he was a German sailor uh, who had a long history of traveling around Europe and the United States. Figenbaum was convicted of the murder of an elderly widow by the name of Juliana Hoffman and sentenced to death. And he was eventually executed in the electric chair. Um, That was the only murder that they could uh, pin on him. But evidence suggests that he um, was the primary suspect in many more killings, including the ones in Whitechapel connected to Jack the Ripper. So so Julia... Was after these murders. Right, was after. Okay. So Figenbaum's own lawyer claimed after the execution that he had suspicions that Figenbaum could have been the notorious London serial killer. Um, And he had also credibly been linked to another gruesome murder in New Jersey. Uh, The murder there was of a woman named Carrie Brown, who was also a sex worker, who was viciously killed and mutilated in a manner extremely similar to the victims of Jack the Ripper. Um, so he was never convicted of that murder, but he was, um, basically the prime suspect and everybody thought he did it. They just couldn't prove it. I'm going to say no. You know, like after, no, no. After one murder that they know, like after one, this Julia, like then he was convicted, but he was so stealth for these five other, uh, no, I, I just, I don't. Mm-mm. Well, eventually, if you kill enough, you're gonna get caught at some point. True, but it just sounds like this this Julia one was just sloppy enough that they were like, meh. Well, I mean, it is kind of very crazy that he didn't get caught for the other ones with the times, like how close people were to him all the time. 
Exactly. And then this one murder he gets he gets nailed for? I don't I don't I don't see it. Yeah, but I don't see it. All right, what are the next ones? All right. So the next one is Francis Tumble Tea. Tumble Tea? Anyway, this is an American con artist, um, huckster, and potential serial killer. So like many people at the tail end of the nineteenth century, Tumblety was cashing in on false medical products under the guise of secret knowledge obtained from American Indians. Um, this was come of records at the time, but this Fuck guy this guy, he's it. the one. All right. So he traveled all over the United States and Europe, uh, selling his medicines, elixirs, and herbs. Um, and he made a lot of money doing that. And he also had a bit of notoriety. Like, he was kind of famous. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, people were big into that. Yeah. You know, they were really big into that. Yeah. mm -hmm. So how does medical quack become implicated in one of the most notorious murder cases of all time? Uh, Jack the Ripper was not the only crime even that he was connected to. So he had been detained and interviewed as being an accessory to the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Whoa. Uh, Yeah. The infamous doctor was also prone to delusions, often writing self-aggrandizing pamphlets about himself and spinning wild tales about how he was accepted by royalty and famous authors around the world for his medical expertise. Instead, he was credibly placed as living in a rundown section of Whitechapel by Donald Rumbelow in his book, The Complete Jack the Ripper, fully revised and updated. Tumble T was also a noted misogynist who had a particularly... Um, intense loathing for prostitutes. Um, so that guy Donald, in his book, he said that he had a c- collection. This guy Tumble T had a collection of uteruses and jars, which he said he kept for study, but assured all who asked that they came from every class of woman. His money, his ability to travel, his hatred of prostitutes and women, uh, combined with <coughs> accounts of him being unhinged. And potentially having lived in Whitechapel for a time leads a lot of people to think that he could have been Jack the Ripper. No, I don't buy this one either. Too eccentric. No. No. Too eccentric. Sloppy. Uh, this this Jack the Ripper guy, like, as you have described all the five murders, he's slick. He's quick. He's efficient. He's these two Higginbaum and Tubble T. I don't, I don't, no. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. All right. So the next one is Aaron Kosminski. So Aaron Kosminski was a destitute immigrant living in an impoverished state in the Whitechapel district. Multiple police documents and records had the name Kosminski written in them. Some of these documents featured the name in the margin as notes, while others had the name featured as the name of a potential suspect. The problem was that there was no first name. So they did not know if it was a surname, a slur, a code, or something else, but the name kept coming up. So upon further investigation, they were only able to locate one man who might fit the bill, and it was Aaron Kosminski. He was found in an asylum years later. Supposedly, Aaron Kosminski had threatened female members of his family with a knife and was put away in an asylum in 1891 uh, for his violent tendencies. Um, No other violent incidents could be pinned on him, but he did live in the vicinity of the um, canonical five murder sites at the time of the murders. The asylum records diagnosed Kosminski with paranoid schizophrenia. That combined with his proximity to the prime Jack the Ripper murder victims and his past incident with brandishing knives against females makes him a prime suspect. He was even named as Jack the Ripper in a book claiming to have linked Aaron Kosminski to one of the 
Ripper victims via DNA evidence. So the evidence was sensational, but a little bit flimsy, but it does add another layer of possible weight to the claim that Kuzminski was indeed the infamous serial killer. Um, they had taken, it was one of the scarves from one of the victims, and forgive me, I don't remember whom. Um, I want to say it was Catherine, actually. Um, but it was never, like, logged into evidence. So there's a lot of things with the DNA thing that, you know. And then the way the DNA was taken, blah, blah, blah. But supposedly it did come back as being a match to a direct descendant of Aaron Kosminski. So there's that. I buy um, him not, more than the other the other two. You like him more. Okay. I like him more, yeah. Um, another one of my favorite like ideas, theories, is that uh H. H. Holmes was actually Jack the Ripper. Although it is not very likely. But they were in the same Existing. era? Yes. Yeah, they were, weren't they? Mm-hmm. <gasps> they were. Yes. So okay. here, I'm gonna give you the the skinny on this one okay so because i just love this like kind of idea the idea yeah yeah so an initial overview of the facts would suggest we're dealing with radically different individuals right right not just because like different continents um but their basic like way they killed people their mo so jack the ripper obviously as we just talked about would attack people on the street very violent right h.h holmes um preferred to work in private and he built his murder castle. Yes. Um, where he rigged rooms to isolate and secure his victims. Creeping yes. him out in public wasn't like his deal. It wasn't, no. No. But if we scratch the surface, the parallels become more apparent. Um, the Ripper, far from being savage, messy slasher of popular myth, was a calm and careful killer. Yes. Rather than simply lunging at victims with his knife, he would choke them and then lay them down quietly before commencing the evisceration. Right, which is why Higginbaum and Tumble Tea are out of the running. Right. <laughs> Too much. Too much. So so this is part of the reason he didn't alert anyone within earshot as to what was going on. Holmes, too, had a methodical killing style and was also tr- a trained medic. <gasps> meaning he was adept at the removal of organs. He was. Of course, a lot of people think that Jack the Rapper had some degree of medical training. Um, yeah, yeah. It is also important to consider that the last of the official canonical victims of Jack the Ripper was killed in her own bed mm-hmm. and not on the streets. Yeah, that and was different. She wasn't, yeah, she wasn't simply cut open. She was obliterated. Obliterated, yes. Right. So this was a huge escalation from his previous killings. Um, even like, you know, in the way that he did it and obviously the, how ferocious it was. Mm-hmm. But Jack was evolving. So, as they do. As we right. know they do. Yes. Right. So if the, this theory is right, um, that would have been Holmes trying out different methods and moving more towards the grandiose style that he displayed in the Chicago murder castle. So speaking of the United States, uh, Fox and Budget investigation, these two people that looked into this Holmes business. What were their names? Has revealed that... Um, Fox and Mujits. They did these, yeah. They did a, I think there was a book on it. But they did um, reveal that Holmes left a trail of business documents, which allows us to chart his movements, except that is between 1888 and 1889, when the paper trail goes mysteriously quiet. 
This coincides with the time frame of the Ripper killings in London. Oh. So could this have been when Holmes was Jack? We do know from ship logs that an individual by the name of H. Holmes was a passenger who sailed from the UK to the US shortly after the Ripper killings ended. And there's a little bit more. So linguistic experts that have been consulted um, and analyzed the Dear Boss letter. Okay. Um, it's widely regarded as having been sent, um, you know, by Jack to the London media. Um, this expert confirmed that the various quirks of language suggested that the writer was an American. Really? Mm-hmm. And there's a forensic sketch artist um, who created a portrait of Jack based on the witness testimonies of the 13 people who had seen the Ripper. Um, the 13 portrait... people have seen this dude and he never got caught. Right, exactly. Well, we, I just talked about that. Like, I know, but still, shit? like, Jesus. But also, right. you know, street lighting wasn't the greatest in 1800 Victoria, England. There was no street lighting, that's why. <laughs> it was lamps, um, it was candles. Right. So, uh, as we, uh, if you can remember what H.H. H. Holmes looks like, like, he uh -huh. was actually, he would be very quite, like, with the mustache. The mustache and the, mm -hmm. yes, he was very prim and proper. I can totally see that guy being a germaphobe, but a, a bloodophile or a hemophile. H.H. Yeah. Holmes a, was fucked up, man. He was fucked. So, but if you can, yeah, if you remember what H.H. H. Holmes, it would actually be fairly close to the description that you've heard mm. Mm. of what we know of H.H. I just think it's an interesting theory because A.J. Thomas is so, like, notorious as well. He's super notorious, but when did his murders start and end? Was and there a pause in that year? A.J. Thomas? Yeah, was there a pause um, in his murders of that year? I don't, I don't, yeah, they don't know where he was during that time, um, as far as I know. And then he, the Chicago stuff didn't happen, I think, until just after, because it was, like, when was the Chicago Expo? Like 1901, I think, or something when they had the murder castle? Uh, was it? Uh, I'm guessing. I don't know for sure, but... I am intrigued by this notion. I'll... I don't know. I'll be it far-fetched. It is well, just... It is far-fetched, but read me the names of those two people that wrote the book again. It was somebody it's in Mudget. Fox and Mudget. And that was his... D-E-T-T-S. Mudget... What's his, his last his name? name? His real yeah. name. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Hmm. I'm gonna put three question marks by him. All right. Now that's. There are hundreds. Oh God, I bet. Of, you know, suspects that have been named in the past like 130 years. So. Oh, for sure. I'm pretty like sure one of my boyfriends is one of them. Right. So those are just like the t the top leading contenders that people. Kind of about. There's also talk that it could have been a woman dressed up. Um, That's entirely possible. I mean, mm -hmm. if you were a lady of the night, you would probably, you know, get paid by whoever you could. And if there was, you know, back then, I mean, the idea of homosexuality was just utterly unheard of. So it wouldn't be a stretch that a woman was dressed like a man with a mustache, but also the sandy eyelashes description is what is tripping me up. The dark mustache, but the sandy eyelashes. Everybody knows that eyelashes are, you know, 
carpet drapes the whole thing eyelashes mm-hmm. too again that's like the, that's not everybody's account too so you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt like how well did they really see them it, you know your eyes will fill in stuff like eyewitnesses are not reliable at it's all. very very that's very very true because especially even after time like the memory you know the mind will be like well maybe that wasn't what i saw or it, yeah you're right well, the mind will fill in gaps remembering the last time you remembered it right so stuff changes yes the mind always it. fills in gaps yeah yeah so yeah so that's what i have on jack the ripper so now what that's it discuss around herself that's it that's all you have oh my god no i'm kidding um that was a Um, lot that was a lot (laughs) i could talk a lot but i feel like now i'm like a fucking that was a lot that was a lot um so i have like this whole page of notes and this isn't a video (laughs) one but i have like all these like notes and stuff so um the letters let's talk about the letters for just a minute okay the letters, when you read them, especially the last letter where they were talking about the kidney mm-hmm. um, and they had said from hell. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that you have heard this and I know that you probably came across it in your research, but it's very, very similar. These let This the one particular letter is very similar to the Axeman of New Orleans. Right, which they've also said could have been the Ripper. Could have been the Ripper, yes. Yeah. Also, the Velisca Axe murders, they have attributed could have been the Ripper, just mm-hmm. like left the UK and came here versus mm-hmm. AJ's Holmes went, yeah. So I wanted to like bring that up because I was like, that sounds eerily familiar. Right. Um, I really love the the... Was it George Lusk or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. L- was Lusk. it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lusk, the Vigilante Committee. I really loved mm-hmm. that notion. There is, um, here in the United States, there was, um, a, or there might actually still be, the Guardian Angels is like a vigilante mm-hmm. um, motorcycle group that goes after like people that would do harm to kids and, and young women. Mm-hmm. So I really also have, love that idea. Names? They used to ride the subway like in New York. Mm. Uh, yes. What were their names? Something angels. Something. Something. Yes. Uh, Guardian angels. Was it Guardian yeah. angels? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember, but I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, but like love them. They were so cute. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. They had little jackets. Yeah. Um, the. <laughs> Uh, I also wrote here Wilds, uh, the doctor that confirmed it was a human kidney. I'm like, mm-hmm. it was human. Ew. Yes. Um, Higginbaum, nah, too sloppy. I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think he did it at all. Tumble tea, same thing. Too eccentric, also sloppy. This killer was able to do so much damage within 15 minutes. Now, that's somebody a little bit and more... And slip away. Yes. A little bit more tight, a little bit more efficient. I don't think it was either one of these guys. And but... they had to be dressed fairly well to avoid suspicion walking around. Right? Exactly. They had to be somebody the police would probably not want to hassle. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like, okay, you know, maybe not. Um, Kazminsky, though... 
I'm landing on this. H.H. Holmes is a super stretch, but Kazminsky is where I'm going to put my proverbial money. Yeah, I mean, the thing with the Jack the Ripper is there's an element of like a sexual sadist killer. For sure. You have like, was he hearing voices? Because what he did was very fucked up and intense. Um, Uh So he's clearly like a bit out of his mind. Um, Oh, wait, I have a question. Was there proof that he actually had had sex with any of these women? I don't know, but they did refer to semen. I did hear it referred to um, in some of the murder scenes, but again, um, no DNA. Um, the, yeah. it, we are dealing with women, of, um, like working women, mm. that even if there is some, or have he been could some, have been her. Clothes, we don't know it was his. Yeah, he, he could have been her second or third john of the night yeah Mm -hmm. yeah this is a good one babe oh my god i'm good i'm so i know so many i I really write this stuff just to fuck like i'm like i have to just make sure carrie gets like shit she doesn't know like good job good job yeah um i yeah uh you went into some serious details that i didn't um that i didn't know i think we all kind of knew um, maybe we all didn't like research the crime scene photos, which again, in the 1800s, they had crime scene photos hmm. of these murders. Um, the last one, um, that you talked about, I, I remember that one. That was, yeah, that was pretty awful. Um, but yeah, this was, this was a good one. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's. <laughs> I love that you're like trying to like best me and my knowledge. Um, you do it a number of times in our regular episodes. You really, really do. And the Stanley Hotel Part Two. Oh my God, you really brought it with that one. I was, I was oh, really, thanks. yeah, I was really impressed. Well, and um, I think the Ripper is a story that we all like, kind of think we know. It's so popular. It's like, you know, part of popular culture. Mm-hmm. Um, even uh-huh. still, 150 years later, almost. So, but we all think we know it, and I, I didn't know kind of a lot serious, of that. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know a lot of that. I didn't realize how close he was to getting caught all the time. Yes, and, and how quick those murders had to be. Like, and he really still had to be quick. Why? Yeah, exactly. That's why I think I those first two guys were just too eccentric and sloppy. I don't think that that they could have could have pulled that off. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a great job. This was an amazing first um, true crime episode for the Patreons. And I hope, guys, I Thank hope you. you love it. I really do hope you love it. I think, um, uh, wow, this is going to be a tough one to beat. And um, so I'm next, next month I <laughs> is mine. And um, Laura, wow, you you have um, your own big shoes to fill with your next story. So I hope you right. Really, no kidding. I, right. Yeah. I hope you really. Re- and hey, guys, yeah. um, email us. Let us know who you think it is. Like, if yes, you have a theory, or you like one of these guys. There's other. There's a, a number of other ones um, that everybody talks about. Um, oh yeah. If you think it was a woman, if you think it was, I don't know, whoever. A woman. That's intriguing. I kind of like that idea. The, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Like, if, you know. H.H. Holmes is intriguing, but I don't think it was him. I just think it's, like, again, I, I, I like that idea. It's yeah. just such an like interesting idea. idea, right? Yeah. I thought it was, yeah. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I also love that you're, you stayed within the haunted umbrella with this one because white... Uh, white... Not Whitehall. White I know. I was thinking of the castles of the king and queen. Whitechapel is still widely believed to be haunted. So yeah. they do um, haunted Jack the Ripper walking tours that mm-hmm. I had told you uh, back when we had gone to London that I was like, oh, we wanted to do this tour and we couldn't because we were so tired. Um, so I love that you kept it within the paranormal umbrella. And yeah. Go. So Whitechapel in the UK in the East End of London is haunted uh, probably by all of these five women, probably more. Um, so yeah, you, you kept it within the paranormal haunted umbrella and the writing the show notes for this one is going to be exceptionally difficult. So <laughs> fuck I'm you sure very much. Thank you for that one. Um, really great job. This was, oh, this was phenomenal. And the bar has fun. been raised. The bar has been raised. So I'm going to go uh, and start writing my uh, true crime story for next month. It is also within the haunted umbrella. Mm-hmm. We want to try to keep all of these true crime stories to, um, you know, within the haunted, you know, milieu, if you will. Uh, I keep looking at the camera like we're on YouTube and we're mm-hmm. not on YouTube. No, we're not. It's just a good habit to get into. Um, babe, good job. No, thanks. Good job. It was a lot of fun, actually. I really enjoyed it. You Um, did. You texted me a lot, and you were like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, you had a lot of fun with this one, so that's good. Yeah, there was a a lot to learn, a lot lot of little rabbit holes to go down on this one, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, All right, well, uh, hope you guys enjoyed it, and... God. Yeah, let us know how you're enjoying the true crime so far. Let us know your... Let us know your suspects, your theories, yeah. Yeah. This was a good one. I love it. Um, I will give you guys a hint. Mine is um, it's 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 buttoned up. Uh, There's no theory. There is no we know who did it. Uh, So uh, spend your time, you know, being armchair detective with Laura's story and and, and let us know who you think it was, because mine, we all know who it was Uh, to that end. Laura, why don't you go ahead and close it out with the warning? Which warning are we doing? The the warning. Stay safe out there, because you never know who or what is listening. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Laura, baby, good job. See, you. see you next month. Bye. Bye.